Loving other people isn't easy. And that title kind of pretty straightforward, you know. It tells us what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And as we get started, I just want to have a little fun. Uh, can we do that? Can we have some fun? I want to snap a family picture of everybody. And uh, my grandmother used to love taking family pictures, but instead of making people say cheese, she would always say, say sex. <laughs> it was a lot less creepy when she did it, just saying. Uh, so hey, thanks for playing along there. Uh, I, we're not done yet. We're not done having fun. I need a volunteer, one person. Anybody feeling brave? You can't volunteer other people. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> It's, uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot too much. Anybody? <laughs> Nobody wants to volunteer. Uh, all right, I saw a hand here. Come on up here. Oh, all right, all right. This may not work out all that well. I want you to just take a look at this picture. You don't have to memorize it or anything. Just take a look and tell us honestly, who's the first person you're looking for there? Who's the first person? Yeah. My family at home sleeping. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Ratting out your family at home sleeping. Well, hey, uh, that did not work out the way I thought because you're, most people look for themselves first and foremost, but you're, looking, you're a family man. I appreciate that about you. Yeah. Well, thanks. That's all I needed. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give him a hand. Give him a hand. So most people look for themselves because we're kind of wired that way, wired to look for ourselves. If you volunteer from the fringe, you're not in the photo, there you go. But uh, we're all prone to just be a little bit uh, self-focused. But Messi's going to help us break out of that a little bit. Maybe some of us need less help than other people. That's okay. But, but this series, Messi, is going to help us break out of just uh, of, of focusing on ourselves. It's going to help us break out of ourselves a little bit. And we're going to explore, throughout the series, we're going to explore just one key concept. Uh, and it's a really crucial idea. And it's an idea we already know. We all know it. But uh, we don't always live it out. We don't put it into practice in the way we should. And so we've heard this idea all our lives, even from the time that you were a kid, but we all have a hard time really living it. And we're going to examine, in this series, Messy, we're going to examine all the different places in the Bible where it tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's an idea that shows up all over the Bible. And it's really interesting because, you know, we're kind of wired to look for ourselves first and foremost, and this verse actually knows that about us. It's, in fact, obeying this verse kind of depends on us thinking of ourselves. So it's not all bad to think of ourselves, uh, that's, that's not all bad, but this, this verse, this is basically the golden rule or the greatest commandment. It's a really important idea. And God must have known that we would have a hard time with this because it's all over the Bible, right? I mean, he's a smart guy. He knew. He put it in 10 different places, in fact. Uh, it starts in the Old Testament, way back at the beginning in the Law of Moses. And, uh, and the writers of the New Testament, man, they pick it up and they run with it. I mean, Jesus mentions it. Other people talk to Jesus about it. Paul mentions it a couple of times. James mentions it. So it's all over the Bible. In fact, in your notes, you can see specific places where it occurs if you want to know kind of where we're going with this study. And it's called the, the greatest commandment because it's the way that Jesus himself sums up the, the law and the prophets. In other words, he says the whole Old Testament can really be summed up with this idea. So it's a really important idea. And yet we, we have to hear it over and over and over again. So it shows up over and over again. And I think it's a particularly important idea for us at Trinity right now. I think examining this over the next few weeks is really going to be transformative for us. And let me tell you why I say that. 
First, I think it's going to help us be a better church community. Uh, that's something that we need. It's something that we, we want. We want to be a better church community, better faith family. But it's also going to make us a better church for our community. We had a, a family meeting, a big meeting this past Monday. Many of you were able to make it to that. But that was one of the common ideas that we shared. We all want to be a stronger community, especially uh, intergenerationally, across generations. We talked about that. But we also want to be a stronger church for our community, having greater and greater impact in the, the changing demographics of our valley. So that's our, our twofold desire. So the way I'm going to say it, the way I want us to think about it throughout this series is that we want to be transformed people transforming the valley. Let me say that again. Transformed people transforming the valley. I mean, it's no surprise, it's no secret that God put us here, he put us in this church, he put us in this particular place. And the more I come to understand the valley, the more I come to understand the unique role that our church can play the more I get excited about what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. I mean, Trinity has a very unique role in this valley, and I don't say that as a slight to any of the other churches around, but the, the unmistakable fact is that there is a lot of religious noise in our community, right? I mean, uh, there's a lot of religious people, but it kind of becomes white noise to the community as a whole. You know, all the religiosity in town, uh, people kind of have, have tuned out by and large. It's white noise. And yet if we believe the gospel, if we believe that it really is good news that can transform people, then we've got an amazing opportunity to live it out, to, to, to share it in our valley in very meaningful ways. I mean, we've got good news that's not bogged down by following this set of rules or that set of rules. We've got good news that's really just good news. We've got good news that doesn't demand that you've got to eat this or you've got to avoid that or you've got to experience this. It's just good news. It's so freeing. We've got a unique role in this valley to carry that good news with us, transform people, transforming the valley. And it starts with this idea, love your neighbor as yourself. So today I want us to just look at the very first place where this idea occurs, this command, love your neighbor as yourself. It shows up in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Leviticus is that book that everybody stumbles through. If you ever try to read through the Bible in a year or read through the Bible cover to cover, you get to Leviticus and you just stop because it's a weird book. It's full of laws, it's full of rules, full of weird stuff. But, but as you're finding your way to Leviticus 19 in your Bible, I just want to give us a little bit of context, help us understand what's going on in this book. Well, back in the book of Exodus, right before Leviticus, God has rescued the people of Israel from slavery. They were slaves in Egypt. They were uh, uh, forced to work for the Egyptians without any rights, without any relief. And God saw them and he chose them and he, he appointed Moses to lead them. And through Moses, God freed the Israelites from slavery and he sets them up as their very own nation, a nation that would represent what God has done for them, that would represent all the, the goodness of God. But this group of people, they had no idea how to be their own nation. They didn't know how to represent God. And so God gives them the law. God gives Moses this, this law, you know, Ten Commandments and all these other regulations for them to follow. And the purpose of the law was so that these people, these very messy people, would begin to live in a way that reflected who God is. 
so that others could look to them and they'd see what God is like. See a community of people living in a way that shows what God is like. So God gives them freedom and then he gives them these laws not to take away that freedom but so that they could live in the best way possible to reflect the character of God. That's the the overarching purpose of the law. It teaches us something about who God is. And then it was designed to teach God's people how they could live in a way that reflects God. And so right at the beginning of Leviticus 19, we actually see this very, very clearly. The chapter starts off with a kind of a reminder of this idea. It starts off like this. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Yahweh, I'm holy. So God's about to give them this more guidance. He tells us right here why it's important. He's basically telling, telling them, that, hey, living this way, following me, is going to make you holy in the same way that I am holy. And this idea of holiness is so important throughout the Old Testament. Uh, things are different for us. We'll get to that later. But for the people of Israel, this, this called out group of people, they're supposed to represent God, then holiness is a key idea. It's at the heart of the law. This word holy, it literally means set apart. Set apart. Just like you got your, your regular dishes and you got your fine china and you only use the fine china on special occasions, you know, Christmas dinner, whatever. It's set apart for a special purpose. That's kind of the same idea of holiness. It's, it's set apart. God himself, he's holy. He's set apart from everything that he created. There's God and there's everything else. He's set apart in an amazing way. And he tells the people of Israel, he says, I want you to be holy in the same way that I'm holy. I want you to be this group of people that's set apart from all the other nations. That's why he gives them all these rules and these regulations so that they can live in a way that's different, that's set apart, that's holy, showing all these other people what God is really like. So that's the context of this chapter that we're going to look at. And hopefully by now you found Leviticus 19. And remember, it's introduced by this verse. Be holy because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. And this chapter, in fact, is known as part of the the holiness code. This this code of rules or laws that are specifically to teach God's people how to be holy. And the chapter has all kinds of different laws. There's 21 of them, in fact, just in this chapter. And they're broken up by this repeated phrase, I, the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. So again, this this idea is just living in a way that's set apart, that that reflects who God is. This, This character of God. Living in a way that then draws people in to the community to see what is the, what is what's going on here who is this god i want to know more so let's take a look there's a long list of rules we're going to pick up in verse 15 verse 15 do not pervert justice because that's a key part of who god is he's just don't pervert justice don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly Do not go about spreading slander among your people because God is truth. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Don't hate your brother in your heart because love is a part of who God is. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you won't share in his guilt. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And here we see the very first time this command appears. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And when we see it in its context, it's really the, the culmination of this chapter of all these different laws. It's almost a, a summation of what it means to follow these rules. They're all summed up by this idea, love your neighbor as yourself. And notice too, there's a reason that God gives this command. Right after the command, God gives this reason. Do this because I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the one and only God. Again, this is how you reflect who God is. It's as if God is saying, this is me, and therefore this should be you. This is how you reflect me. You love your neighbor as yourself because that's who I am. That's how I love. So this command, love your neighbor as yourself, it's important. It's worth us taking time over the next few weeks to really understand. If we're going to be a church full of transformed people, transforming the valley, then we've got to get a handle on this. And we already know about ourselves. We're focused on ourselves. So let's talk about some of the other elements in this passage. We need to understand what is love, really, and who's my neighbor. So let's start with what is love. In this passage, what does love look like? Well, in verse 18, the, the Hebrew word that's translated love here is ahav. It, it's a word that shows up all over the, the Bible. It really has two key parts. The first part is, is an inclination of the mind towards someone. In other words, you're, you're thinking about uh, that other person. That's a key part of love. You can't love somebody without thinking about them. But, but the other part, it's not just in our minds, but it's a, it's a tenderness of affection at the same time. So that's the second part. Thinking about a person, but then having affectionate feelings towards them. So your head and your heart. That's, that's love in a nutshell, those two pieces together. Another uh, scholar I read pointed out that, that, that love, especially in this passage, is very active. It's, it's direct and helpful action towards your neighbor. If you look at this verse, it's love that's in contrast to, to vengeance or to, to bearing a grudge against someone. It's the opposite of that. So we might say that this kind of love has the best interests of the other person in mind. So it's not just thoughts and feelings, but it's active. It's, it's active for the, the good of the other person. Well, that helps us understand love a bit. It's, it's active. It's for the good of the other person. And that's how God loves us, doing things for us that we can't do for ourselves. That's active love. It's love that makes us better. And again, that's a key idea, that kind of love that reflects God, what he is like. And if we're going to learn to love in a way that really shows what God is like, we've got to remember that God himself is love. And, and saying that doesn't mean that love is just one part of God, one of his attributes, one of his activities, but it, but it means that all that God does and is, is loving. God is love, and he wants us to live in that same way, to reflect him. That means we gotta ooze love. We gotta, we gotta completely love. So when we talk about what is love, we can summarize it this way. Love is actively seeking to show God to others. It's actively seeking to show God with others, to others. It's not passive. It's not just thinking compassionate thoughts for another person. It's, it's active. It requires action. And it's complete. It's a whole lifestyle. It's what transformative love looks like, reflecting what God is like. So if that's love, the other part of this verse talks about our neighbor. Who are we supposed to show this kind of love to? Who is our neighbor? And the word for neighbor in this passage, it means something very specific here in Leviticus. It means a friend or a companion, and it also means a, a fellow citizen. 
Remember, God's creating this nation of people who are like him. And that's important. Right here in Leviticus, neighbor is a fellow citizen, another one of God's people. You can see that by reading the beginning of verse 18. It says, don't bear a grudge against one of your people. Instead, love them, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so your people and neighbor are the same idea. The word neighbor in this verse, it, it's, it's a fellow believer. And that's a really important starting place for understanding this verse, this idea that shows up all over the Bible. Because remember here, when God introduces this idea, he's creating this community that will reflect him. And all these actions in this passage in Leviticus, they're all directed to fellow Israelites, fellow believers. So they're learning to live together, they're learning to love each other. Because that's what it means to reflect God, to show the world what God is like. So we summarize what love means. It's actively seeking to show God to other people. And we summarize what neighbor means. We could keep it real simple. We could just say, it's my people, right? There's a country song called, These Are My People. It's all about the people he grew up with, people in his own hometown. These are my neighbors. These are my people, right? So we got a pretty good handle on this verse. I mean, right here in Leviticus, loving your neighbor just means Loving your people, showing God to your people, loving your fellow believers, loving people who are like you. I mean, that's pretty easy stuff, right? I mean, we may not even need all the weeks of this series. We kind of nailed it right here, and we still got plenty of time left to go. We could even say the verse this way. We could say, love your neighbor who is like yourself. I mean, that's what God is basically telling us. I'm not going to argue with God. That's easy stuff, right? Before we pat ourselves on the back too much for following the, the letter of the law, let's talk a little bit about the spirit of the law. Because like I said, this command shows up ten times in the Bible. And all the other times, the meaning is just a little bit different. Jesus definitely expands the meaning to include loving people who are not like us. He even says we should love our enemies. What does that guy know, right? So I'm being a bit facetious in saying that this command only means to love your neighbor who is like yourself. But in fact, here, the very first time we see this, that's exactly what it means. Love your neighbor, and your neighbor is your fellow believers. So that really is our starting point for this whole idea, this whole series, loving each other well. Over the next few weeks, we'll talk about loving others, about being a church full of transformed people who transform the valley. But the starting point of that is being a loving community, a group of folks, a faith family that loves each other really well. And here at Trinity, this is kind of where we get stuck, where things get messy. Because we're pretty good about being transformed people. I mean, we've got that part kind of figured out. This is a church that is great at helping people grow in knowledge and understanding of the gospel, helping people become like Christ in a lot of ways. We've got good, solid doctrine. We've got a lot of friendly people. We've been blessed with a legacy of great teaching from the beginning of Trinity's history. We've got a lot of things figured out. So when we see love your neighbor who's like yourself, we think, well, yeah, sure. I can do that. I've been doing that for a long time. It's easy. There's lots of people like me here. So I can find some folks that are really like me, and I can feel right at home. But remember, the title of this series is Messy. Loving others isn't easy. So when we think about loving others who are like us, if it seems a little too easy, well, guess what? You're right. If it doesn't seem very messy, that's because the way we think about people like us 
And the way that God thinks about people like us, just a little bit different. Because people like us are messy. We find it easy to love people who think the same as us, who act the same as us, who are into the same kind of things as us. That's not revolutionary. That's not the kind of thing that's going to draw other people closer to God. That's not transformative. God wants us to learn to love people who are fellow believers, but that means we've got to love people who are messy like us. Let me put it another way. We love people who are like us, but the definition of like us has changed. Listen to this quote. Love your neighbors who you think are weird because they're human. And by the way, you're weird too. Just like you, they are amazing messes made in the image of God, and they've fallen short of that image, just like you. All people, including ourselves, are flawed, sinful, but we need to love them because we ourselves commit the same sins. We're alike in our weaknesses and frailties. We are to love those who don't seem worthy because we ourselves are unworthy. We're all in need of God's mercy. So we love people who are like us, meaning we love our fellow messy people. And us modeling that kind of love, the kind of love that God has for us, actively seeking to show God to others, us modeling that, managing not just to get along with other people who are a little bit different from us, but managing to genuinely love and actively love each other, that's a big way that other people are drawn into what God is doing here. That's how we begin to be transformed people who transform the valley. You know, we like to choose our church relationships, our our Bible studies, or our growth groups, even our friends, just based on this idea, people who are like us, the people we feel really comfortable around, we can laugh with, we don't have any issues with. But think about the original disciples. You ever stop to think about the original disciples? I mean, we tend to think of them as like this, this band of brothers united around Jesus. And they were united around Jesus, but they probably didn't like each other at first very much. I mean, think about how much time would it have taken for them to get over the fact that there's a tax collector right in their inner circle. Or that this woman who used to be possessed by demons is standing just a few feet away, Right? And the very next generation, the earliest Christians, they didn't get to choose each other either. They were thrown together with other people that they never would have chosen. I mean, Jews and Gentiles and and educated and uneducated, slaves and slave owners, uh, poor and rich and former zealots and former tax collectors, former prostitutes and former Pharisees. What are they talking about as they're eating dinner together, you know? Loving our neighbor as ourself means we got to be willing to love even the messy people among us because we're all messy. Maybe this is the kind of thing Jesus had in mind when he taught his disciples, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving your neighbor as yourself Starts right here, with us loving each other well. We need genuine love for each other. And from our love, what happens in here starts to show up out there. We become transformed by the good news, this really good news, and we transform the valley, spreading love and and holiness to all kinds of messy people. 
But it starts here with us loving each other well. And I want to give us some very practical and simple ways to do that. When my wife and I first adopted back in 2013, we knew that bringing new kids into our family we, we would be, ch- be challenging. And we knew our relationship would, would take a hit, would suffer a little bit. So we worked really hard in the months leading up to our adoption to really make our relationship as strong as we could. We knew things were about to get really messy, right? And so we, we did that. We got to probably the healthiest place our marriage has ever been. And sure enough, we brought these kids home, and we took that hit. I mean, it was, it was tough. We were sleep-deprived, and we were stressed out. We were in over our heads. All our energy went to helping these kids just learn to adjust and, and learn to be a part of a family. And there was one time we were out at Target together, and we got into an argument about something. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I remember that I was right. We got into a pretty heated argument, which is unusual for us. We don't fight very often, and we certainly don't fight in public ever. But uh, there we were, man, going at it. And this checkout guy was like watching this unfold and wishing he could be somewhere else, you know. And so we're, we're going to town, and my wife looked up and noticed this guy checking us out. And she saw instantly, she started laughing. She realized how ridiculous we looked. And she just started laughing. So we went from fighting with each other to laughing. The guy probably thought we were psychotic, you know. (laughs) Well, that's not the way to transform the valley. That kind of relationship is not going to get it done. Here at Trinity, we've got to have strong relationships, not the fighting in the target checkout line kind of relationships, right? We've got to genuinely, really love one another and let that love be what guides us out the doors. So I want to give us four ways that we can love each other well. Remember, actively seeking to show God to other people. The first thing we need to do is we just need to strengthen our existing relationships. I mean, before we go out and try to love our neighbor out there, we've got to really learn what it means to love our neighbor right here. So what happens in here can show up out there. So we've got some relationships here. We've even got some good ones. We're blessed in that we've got a lot of folks who have been around Trinity for a really long time. That means we've got some deep relationships. So let's grow those, strengthen those. Let's intentionally invest in those. And coming up here in the next few weeks, we've got a lot of great opportunities to do that. Here in a couple of weeks, we've got our men's retreat. And man, there is just, there's no better way to grow your relationship with other men at Trinity than to, to be a part of that retreat. It's just that simple. It's really easy to just uh, get out of town, spending some time getting to know some other guys. And this year, it's going to be a really, really good retreat. We've got uh, uh, Dave Bechtel. He's a former pastor from the uh, Bethel Church in the Tri-Cities. He's going to come and be our speaker. So you know he's going to deliver the goods. But honestly, he's really secondary to the relationship building that's going to happen there. Don't tell him I said that. But... But just sitting around the campfire, talking to other guys, sharing meals together, just having fun, that's, that's the heart. That, when I look forward to the men's retreat, that's the kind of stuff that I am, am looking forward to, just built around this very idea of just loving each other well. And it's so easy to do that. So it just, you know, you're getting out of town, there's no distractions, it's the easy thing to be a part of. So, so sign up for that today. You can sign up right on your blue card right now. You can go to the website. Uh, we have scholarships available, so I don't want that to be a barrier. Let me know if, if, that, if you need that. But that's a great way to grow relationships. And for the ladies, same thing. We've got a women's conference coming up in a few weeks. And the whole conference is kind of built on this idea 
they're calling it mutual mentoring, but it's really just investing in intentionally investing in your relationships. So that's going to be a great event. Lots of good time in that conference to be able to build relationships. And so you can sign up for that on the website as well. You can mark your blue card. And we got scholarships for that too. If you need that, let me know. Uh, we also have our growth groups. Uh, groups, in case you don't know, growth groups just groups of about six to ten people that meet in homes each week that pray together they're growing together encouraging one another so man if you're a person who wants to kind of strengthen your relationships here at trinity there's great ways to do that there's a, a special place on your blue card if you're interested in a growth group hit that little checkbox, and i'll help you get connected to a group so that's the first thing we could do just strengthen the relationships that we have and like I said, we got a lot of folks with good relationships. So uh, that leads me to the second thing that we can do, start loving each other really well. The second thing we can do is just add one. Add one. And what I mean by that is that look at your current friendships, your current relationships, whether it's your growth group, whatever your social circle is, and just add one person to it. Right? Find somebody here at Trinity that you think, man, I, I could really get to know that person and just invite them into whatever it is that you're already doing. You know? So if you really enjoy your adult Bible class, invite one person to come and sit with you. Be a part of that. Or if you're in a growth group, just add one person or add one couple to that. Just add one. You know, you're going to go out to lunch after church with some friends. Add one to that. Right? You get the idea. Just keep adding one until eventually it becomes a habit. And, and we become a church full of inclusive relationships where everybody starts to feel loved and accepted. You just add one. So simple. So we strengthen our existing relationships. We add one to whatever it is we're doing. And the third thing is we just have fun together. Just have fun with your neighbors, your fellow believers. I came across a great quote this week, made me smile. A godly family is one that knows how to enjoy each other. I think sometimes we forget that joy is one of the attributes of God. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. He was known for going to parties so much so that he was accused of being a drunkard. Kids love spending time with Jesus, and if there's one thing we know about kids, it's that they love to play. As a faith family, we can love each other just by having fun together. At our family meeting this past Monday, one of the things we talked about very briefly was ways to engage families in our valley, ways to build on what we already got going on. Well, having fun together and then adding one, that seems like a really simple formula for connecting other families to what God wants to do here, right? There's one more thing, one more way we can start to live out this, this idea of loving each other well. And it's maybe the most important way. There's a lot of good things going on in our valley, in our community. It's a great place to be, great place to live. There's a lot of helpful stuff going on. I mean, if we want to really reflect God, what God is like, God's already doing a lot of great things. And some of the big attributes of God are represented really well in our valley. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are focused on justice in different ways. A lot of folks focused on mercy in our valley, right? And a lot of different ways that God shows up. And truth be told, there's a lot of people doing some of this stuff better than we could. But there's one thing that we got, one thing that the church has that nobody else can offer. The one thing we have cornered the market on is grace. Grace. There's nobody in the world who understands grace the way that the church does. So the fourth thing that we could do is we could just give grace. Grace for each other and grace that just bleeds out into all our relationships. Because see, 
above all people, we can give grace because we know how messy we really are. We don't have to hide anything. We know how much grace has been given to us. And so we see other messy people. We're not scared of that. We can just love them. We can love those neighbors. We can give them grace because we're all messy people who need grace. We don't have to worry about judging other people, about judging their sin. That's not our job. Remember, Jesus said the way that people will know that we're his disciples is that we love each other. Just grace. So we leave the judgment to God, leave the judgment to the Holy Spirit, and we just show grace because grace has been shown to us. We've been transformed by grace, and we want grace to be that thing that transforms the valley. That starts with us actively loving each other, showing God to each other. We intentionally strengthen our relationships. Take a step, sign up for these retreats, you know, and just strengthen your relationships. And then we widen the circle a little bit. Just add one until it becomes a habit. And then we have fun together. Whatever you do for fun, add one and enjoy other people, enjoy each other. And then we finally, we give grace. That's how we let what happens in here show up out there. With people transformed by grace and genuine relationships, loving each other well, that's what's going to transform the valley. Let me pray for us. God, we are uh, in awe of your grace. We know how messy we are. We know how much we need grace, not just one time, but every day. And uh, we want to be people that reflect you well. We want to be people that are Uh, showing the world what that kind of love looks like, actively showing God to other people. And uh, we know that we need your help to do that. It doesn't come from us. It comes from your Holy Spirit working in us. I can't help but think about the words of John the Baptist that says, he, you, must become greater and we must become less. That's what we want. We want to be a people that love each other really, really well and that love uh, is attractive, is, is something that people can't, uh, can't ignore and that shows up all over the valley. Transform people, transforming the valley for your sake and by your power, Lord. That's our desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.